Today we start a, a series on marriage called Finding the Missing, More of the Missing Pieces. We found some of the missing pieces this time last year. And uh, I went about six weeks and I couldn't do it anymore. It was just, it was very um, painful series for me. While it brought joy to many people, I also realized it was like pouring salt into the wounds of many people who really struggle in their marriage. And so I says, I've got more missing pieces, um, but we're going we're gonna to take a break. We're going to focus on Jesus for a little while. And uh, that's when we went into the Gospel of Mark, but I realized just about a month ago, I just since the Lord saying, Martin, it's time to go back and deal with some more of those missing pieces in our lives as I deal with so many people in marriages, both within this church and even outside of this church. And... Uh, so I said, Lord, I will do it. And then I thought, well, well, how am I going to start this more missing pieces? You know, those things that are fundamental and critical to marriage that are oftentimes so elusive to us. And I thought, well, the first piece that's really missing that I really want to focus in on is that of perspective. It's that of perspective because perspective... My perspective will determine and will shape my priorities. It will determine, much like that song moves me, it helps me see things in a way that I otherwise would not see them so that I can go forward and say, I need, I need to change some priorities because this perspective is moving me. And honey, can I get you to get me a couple of Kleenex? Those allergies, little beggars. <laughs> oh, thanks, Stan. You had these right near you, didn't you? You need some, Stan? <laughs> um, and I thought, well, I'm going to go ahead and just start with this verse. And it's one I usually do at funerals. <laughs> but it's about perspective. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes this, It is better to go into the house of mourning than into the house of feasting. Why is that? For death is the destiny of every man. The living, every man and every woman should take this to heart. They should take this to heart. Why should every man and every woman take this to heart? Because of perspective. It gives us perspective. We all die and one day everything is going to be packed up into a box, including us. Every one of us is going to be packed into a box and everyone is going to come and they're going to share their memories, they're going to share their thoughts, they're going to mourn. And then they're going to go home. And they're going to have cold cuts and watermelon and barbecue. I mean, isn't that how it goes oftentimes? If you're lucky, you have barbecue. I want barbecue at my funeral. <laughs> you know, possessions will be gone through. Most will be thrown away. And the rest will be given away. When you understand that, that's perspective. Perspective. It helps us see that 
man, we got to make sure that we're focusing in on the right things, the right priorities. And there are four priorities I want us to look at today. Um, and we're just going to touch on these briefly, and I will go into greater depth into certain ones as we go through this series. But there's four essential priorities that I just want to introduce today that I find is missing in most troubled marriages. Uh, most marriages that I work with that are troubled, they are missing one or more of these priorities. The first one is this. It starts here. And it's fear the Lord and pursue wisdom. Fear the Lord and pursue wisdom. Again, Solomon writes this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning it's the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. This represents a fundamental reorientation of how we view life. It re represents a fundamental reorientation of how we pursue that which we all long for, which God calls shalom. His peacefulness within our lives. Our flourishing, our ability to be able to flourish as human beings. It represents a fundamental reorientation of what makes life work, of God and eternity. It's a fundamental reorientation. It's a call to set aside everything that we've heard thus far that the world would speak, that examples would be. And says, go back to the starting point, the beginning point, and that is fear the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. Of being able to understand from life from God's perspective, from God's intentions, so that we could have shalom. His peace, His flourishing. It's an affirmation of our very identity as God's called out, called together, holy people. It's an affirmation of that reality of our identity. And it's a transformative, it's a transformational part of that identity as we move forward. Fear the Lord, for it's the beginning of wisdom. But fools despise. They hold in deep contempt wisdom and discipline. They scoff at it. They scoff at it. They say, I've got a better way. I don't know how many times I'll give wisdom to someone and they'll take it and then they'll go to a buffet of public opinion and they'll look for something that better suits them. It says, nah, I don't want that. I want this. Like, Wisdom will never be found at a buffet of ideas. It's always standing apart from that buffet. And it's calling us at those critical junctures that are in our lives, as Proverbs 8 says, at the, at the high places, at the intersections of life, those places where we make our decision and it calls out to us, come here, I'm, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to tell you how to shape your life and how to make your decisions. But in the midst of her calling out is the clamoring of the buffet of all of this world and even many within the church that's contrary to the very essence of wisdom. And we scoff at it. The fear of the Lord is like the keel of the ship 
that everything in that ship attaches to. Everything that we say, that I say within this series, attaches to this one thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom. But Martin, I don't feel like it. It doesn't matter if we feel it or not. It's the beginning of wisdom. When we say, God says this, or this is wisdom, and how I respond to my husband, my wife, my kids. But I look at that and I say, I'm not quite feeling that. You've got to understand that that's your foolishness speaking to you. What is the fear of the Lord? What might that be? Forms this heal. Is it respect? No. Oh, it involves that. That's a trinket idea and it's a much larger idea that is so essential for us to be able to grab a hold of this. The first idea that the fear of the Lord and the beginning of wisdom where we plug in, where we start, is this idea, and that is that I am terrified by His holiness. It is not talking about terror that makes me want to take and turn the other way and run. It's a terror that is, I don't like the idea, but it's a terror that represents many different emotions. From fear, which is kind of a weightiness of, the, of the, the incredible perplexity of God's set-apartness to humility, where I feel and I, and I bow down before Him because of who He is, to a sense of awe, of this is who He is, to a sense of attraction. I should run away, but I can't sense of vulnerability like Isaiah says, I am undone. I'm terrified by his holiness. That is the beginning point to establishing a sense of fear. And you know you've experienced the fear of the Lord when you say, I can't not do what he calls me to do and be who he calls me to be. But you know, you have not experienced the fear of the Lord if you look at what he says. And it's just one idea among many. And it's my choice as to whether or not I follow or disregard. I'm terrified by his holiness, but I'm also captivated by his glory. This is what centers me. The glory, what is his glory? The glory is his character. His character, His grace, His mercy, His compassion. Become captivated by that, much like Moses in Exodus 33. When God, He said, God, I'm not taking your people into the new land unless you go with me. And God says, Okay, I'm going to go with you. You got the right attitude. And He says, Show me your glory. And God tells Him, He says, I'm going to show you my mercy and my compassion and my long suffering in my sovereignty, but that's all you're going to see because you can't handle the rest of it, Moses. And he called it his backside. That's his backside of his glory. I wonder what the front side is like. Ever think about that? 
It's his character, it's his power, it's his sovereignty that Job was confronted by in Job 42. It's his warrior in Revelation 1. That's his glory. We become captivated by it. We become captivated by it and it raises all kinds of emotions within us. But it's also his character that is displayed in his gospel. He saved me. This God who should destroy me saved me for eternity. But He not only saved me for eternity, He is saving me right now from myself. Many people, my children included, will tell us, me and Kim, just how much they admire our marriage. Which sometimes blows me away. If you only knew what it took to get to where we are, But I want everyone to know that the reason that we enjoy what I would at least at this stage of my life consider to be a healthy marriage is not because I am a good man or Kim is a good woman. That's not what got us to where we are. It's not because we practice these healthy marriage principles in one of the 50 books I have. It's not because of that. It's because of the power of the Gospel which not only saved me for eternity, it is saving me from myself right now. And it is saving Kim from me right now. You see, my marriage cannot sustain, it cannot sustain the weight of my own selfishness my own lust, my own greed, my own pride, my own self-love. It could not sustain that which is called my flesh. The only reason my marriage is what it is is because of the power of the Gospel that is changing me right now. And we must capture that. That is essential for my marriage. And that determines the kind of person that I bring to the table. When we're in good times, when we're in difficult times, we're in hard times, it shapes, it determines the kind of person that Kim sees in the morning. That I see in her. To fear the Lord is to be terrified by His holiness, is to be captivated by the, His glorious fears. It also says, you know, I'm going to be responsible for my choices. I am going to be responsible for my choices because when I see the Lord, I realize there's no one that I can blame but myself. There's no one I can blame but myself. I can't say, well, I did this because my spouse did that. I lost it and went into a rage because of what my spouse did. Well, why did you choose to lose it? Well, because of what he or she did. But why did you choose to lose it? Many people lose it. Many people experience what you experience, but they don't lose it. Why did you choose to lose it? See, 
there's a reason why I choose to respond the way I do. There's a reason why you choose to respond the way you do when there are certain stimuli that happen to you. You must take responsibility. No one can take responsibility for my own anger. I can't blame it on Kim's stuff. My stuff is my stuff. It's not Kim's. Her stuff may expose my stuff. But her stuff does not determine that which comes out of my mouth, out of my heart, and through my lips and into the spoken word. I am responsible for my choices. I cannot blame anyone for why I do what I do. Oh, their stuff may rub me the wrong way, but that doesn't matter. It does not dictate, it does not determine how I respond in an unholy, unhealthy way. I can only take responsibility for that. I cannot blame. I cannot blame and say, my wife or my husband makes me unhappy. I'm the one that brings that to the table. And when I say I'm responsible for my choices, I make the choice that I will be responsible for the kind of person that I bring to the table of conflict. I am responsible for the kind of person that I bring to the table. My wife is not. She is responsible for the person that she brings to the table in the midst of the conflict or whatever it may be. I am not. I will stop blaming my spouse for the person that shows up to the table. I will not say, you made me unhappy. You made me angry. She just exposes that which is already there deep within my own soul. And that's what I must take responsibility for. That is what I must repent of. My stuff is my stuff. It's not hers. And I choose to follow God. And I choose to fear the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. When her stuff reveals my stuff, I get on my knees and I repent of my stuff. I repent of my stuff. And I say, God, by the power of Your Gospel, would You make me so that I'm no longer an angry man? Would You make me so that I am no longer a lustful man? Would You make it so that I am no longer a selfish man? Would You make me into a different kind of man? Starting from my heart. Please change me. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. I am terrified by His holiness and I am captivated by His glory and I am responsible for my choices. Proverbs 28.14, Solomon writes this, Blessed is the man who chooses to... He makes a choice. This is the fundamental reorientation of one's life. 
Blessed is the man who chooses to always fear the Lord. But he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. In Proverbs, it is always the fool who hardens his heart. It is always the fool who blames others for their own actions. It is always the fool who refuses to take responsibility. It is the fool who makes excuses. It is the fool who lies in bed in the morning and says, I can't get out of the bed because there's a lion in the street. It is the fool who makes those choices. It is the fool who walks away from the wisdom of the Lord. Well, what's the trouble that they will fall into? In Proverbs chapter 1, there are many places you could go, but he describes it this way. He says, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. In other words, God holds them accountable for their decisions. The first priority that the proper perspective will produce within us is we must start here. Lord, I choose to fear You and to pursue wisdom. That's what I choose to do. Put all the other marriage books aside. Lay them all out and put them aside and say, God, this is the beginning point. This is where I must begin. All the other strategies and things like that, they might be helpful, but they are not. They are not central like this one is. The second priority that I believe that the proper perspective will produce within us, will guide us to, at least this is what it's done for me, and that is I will choose to enjoy and nurture my spouse. I will choose to enjoy and nurture my spouse. And I'll spend more time on that next week. But in Proverbs 18.22, Solomon writes this for his son. He wants him to understand this. He said, the one who finds a wife, or you could put also a husband, finds what is enjoyable. Amen? Come on, you can do better than that. All right, some of you, it's because of your experience, you're saying amen. Some of you are saying amen out of faith. All right? So, you find what is enjoyable. That is God's intention. And receives a pleasurable gift from the Lord. But here's this one thing about this gift. Be it a wife or be it a husband, you better nurture it. You better nurture it. They're not like fish where you can just go and leave them all by themselves and you can go and enjoy them when the mood strikes you. Right? (laughs) Even in the mornings. Feed them in the morning and go off on your day. You know, I want to say a whole lot more, but I'm going to just limit it to a couple thoughts here. Kim and I were talking about this yesterday as we were walking into Costco, one of my happy places. Sample, sample. I don't, I don't like buying anything there except that sample lady got me yesterday with some bread and some gluten-free cereal. Kim said, this is nasty. We put the wrong emphasis when we're dating 
And we say, I'm going to date someone with whom I can fall in love. When we focus on falling in love with someone, that whole emphasis is rooted in our identity as fallen human beings. I told Kim, I says, we never fell in love, did we? And we're walking in the parking lot, having this conversation. I said, I didn't fall in love with you. And you didn't fall in love with me. That wasn't a part of what we were thinking at that point in time when we were 21. You know, oftentimes falling in love is a result of what happens when there's physical chemistry. You get that whoopee feeling deep down in your loins and you think, wow, that's, she's hot or he's a hunk. I don't know if they say hunk anymore, but, you know, it doesn't matter to me, you know. But you look at him and you say, man, yeah, I could really, I could really enjoy that person. That person I could marry. The thing is, is that when we focus on chemistry and this whole attitude of falling in love, what happens is that blinds us then to all the character issues that may be present. We say, you know what, I can, I can, I can deal with this because look at what, look at the package, baby, you know. Look at the package. It blinds us to the person's character faults. And then what happens when trouble comes and the chemistry begins to fade and all of a sudden you realize I'm falling out of love. I'm falling out of love. And suddenly you take no responsibility to nurture anything because it's all me-centered. It's me saying to myself, you know what? I love me and I want to marry you because I have a wonderful plan for your life. (laughs) It is to make me happy, happy, happy. (laughs) That's what I really want. And as long as you're making me happy, 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 then we will be happy, 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 and life will be happy. But it's a me-centered, it's me-love. The emphasis is not, should not in any way ever be on falling in love. The right emphasis should be to choose to love. And that was the thing that happened with me and Kim was, I said, I choose to love you. And she made that choice. And every day is a reaffirmation of that choice. And that's the nurture that comes out of that choice. Choose to love. When I choose to love, I first and foremost choose to be a loving kind of person that says, God, by the power of Your Gospel which is saving me right now, God, make me into a loving person. Not just a person who does loving things, but make me into a loving kind of person. And secondly, out of that comes this. And that is, God, help me to make certain kind of choices. The loving kind of choices. The kind of choices that make me patient, God. Make me kind. Make me gentle. Make me considerate. Make me the kind of person so that I'm able to then make those choices. Even when I'm disappointed. Even when her stuff interrupts my stuff. Even when... 
things are going tough. Make me that kind of person. And then out of that, out of that, you realize that you're growing in love. You're growing in love. Then, then the whoopee feeling comes. Then that sense of, wow, you're beautiful. But I'm 60 years old. I'm 70 years old. Doesn't matter. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. I want to bless you. I want to be a blessing to you. I want to be a great, in my case, husband for you. I want to give to you. what God has declared you to be worthy of. Choosing to love has nothing to do with chemistry. But choosing to love will build intimacy which catalyzes hot chemistry. (laughs) Any other men want to comment on that? We'll stop there. We're going to deal with sex, but that's later, all right? You know, just... <laughs> uh, yeah. Can I have some water, please? <laughs> Can Stan have some water, please? <laughs> but one thing you know is that if this process is going to happen, it's going to confront your own self-love time and time again that says, I choose not to love myself. I choose to love this person. That's where it goes. What matters most is the kind of person that I choose to bring to the table as I seek to nurture my spouse. Fourth, or third, and finally, parent your children with a fierce focus on the main thing. One thing about realizing, that's what I love about that song, is the legacy that a husband and wife can leave. Prepare, parent your children. And we'll deal with parenting in this series. But parent your children with a fierce focus upon the main thing. And the main thing is not school. And it's not sports. And it's not video games. And it's not friends. That's Those may be good and Worthwhile things, but they are not the main thing. Malachi 2 Has not the Lord made a husband and wife one? In flesh and spirit they are His. And why has He done this? It's because He is seeking, He's looking hard after 
He's pursuing this main thing, and that is godly offspring. Parents, feel the weight of that. God wants godly children, children who love Jesus. The main thing is loving Jesus. The main thing is raising children who love Jesus and love people and love His church. That is the main thing. And it starts with dads who love Jesus, who love people, and who love His church. It starts with moms who love Jesus, who love people, and love His church. It starts with moms and dads who have a mission to love Jesus and to love people and to love His church. And that serves as navigational beacons for our children who live in community that foster that. Very familiar verse where Jesus, where God describes the main thing for the the moms and the dads and the communities of Israel. And it's in Deuteronomy 6. He says, and you must love. Make that the reorientation of your priorities. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. Love Love God with everything that is associated with you. And it is done as a dad prays in the living room in the mornings or in the evenings. As a mom prays in the living room with the father in the mornings or in the evenings. As the conversation around the table is oriented around these things. It happens when children understand why mom and dad follow Jesus. It helps them it, it, it comes as a result of children understand mom and dad's story. That's why when I turned 50, I sat down with my kids and I said, you guys have never heard the story of why I follow Jesus. Of why I even do what I do. And I blubbered through the whole thing. I wanted them to know. I didn't want to just assume that they had heard. But I wanted them to know You know, if our kids leave our homes and they have as the core conviction from their family that what's most important in life is that I get into a good school, that I get a great education, I get a well-paying job, that I go to church and I be a good moral person, they are spiritually bankrupt. They're moral deists. They must know, they must be convinced that the, what, the main thing, while those are all good things, the main thing in my mom and dad's life is that they love Jesus, they love people, and they loved his church. They loved his church. Have you told your children why that is for you? One of the things that Kim and I have started doing with our kids at Christmas time is. We have the gifts of fun, but we've got the gift of meaning. Where each, each time we'll give them a gift and we'll tell them, this is what I see God doing in, in you. And one of the things that I want to do this year is, this is how you have been a blessing to us. This is how God is using you in our lives. This is how you are ministering to us and you are helping us to grow. 
main thing, folks, is loving Jesus. A couple weeks ago, I was on vacation and I was riding through Montana. I'd made as sort of a purpose of my one of my trips I think about when I ride is to Paul's admonition in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. It says, devote yourself to prayer. And I was riding through Montana. I just started praying for my kids. And I just would think about them and I was starting to weep. And I thought, this is awkward. It's a good thing I'm in Montana where I can't hit anything, you know. There's nothing out here. But I started thinking about why is this moving me so deeply? And it's because that's the main thing. God, I want them to love Jesus. And I would pray that for them, each one. And I'd go back and I'd do it again and I'd do it again and I'd do it again. And then I'd go back and do it again and again and again. Until I felt like my, I was exhausted in my ability to be able to do that. Because that's more important than how much money they make. That's more important than the job that they have, than the education that they have, is that they love Jesus. And it is our role as moms and dads to be catalytic in doing that. Our role as moms and dads is not to socialize them into a community of faith. Our roles as mom and dads is to show them the transforming power of the gospel within our own lives and then to invite them into that. We have spent a lot of time and a lot of effort socializing children into the church and it doesn't stick. Because once they are out of that sphere of influence, they're being socialized into other areas, right? We need to introduce them through the power of a transformed life, through the power of the gospel words. We need to introduce them to the power of the gospel to change their lives. That's why I started with this verse. It is better to go into the house of mourning than into the house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man. The living should take heart to it. That's perspective. What would your children, what would your spouse say is your perspective, that which drives you? Are, is it these things? These things, these ideas, these core commitments, values, priorities, passions, things that get you up in the morning? These things? Father, as we begin this series, would you take and would you do a work in our lives, Lord, challenging us to take responsibility, to fear you, to nurture, 
Lord, and to parent from a perspective of one who has limited time left on earth. From the perspective of one who has more days behind us than what we have in front of us. Lord, realizing that someday everyone's going to stand around our caskets and they're going to remember what was most important to us. And they're going to be the fruit of that which we declared to be most important and what we lived as most important. Father, would you use this series to stir us deep within our souls so that we may discover that which is missing, so that we may have your perspective. In Jesus' name, amen.